Welcome to Excellent Questions. What did you do as uh, your first job out of university? Thank you first and foremost for having me on your podcast, Everything Careers and Success is one of my favorite topics to discuss because whilst people may see the success and the wins and the community and the business that, you know, we have today, that's certainly not where we started. And I started off in the most conventional of ways in the most traditional and typical of ways one could actually start a career. I had the most lateral and linear thinking And during my undergraduate, that's when I started realizing that, hang on, it doesn't make sense for me to do a degree that isn't actually based with something I love doing, let alone want to actually go pursue that for employment. So I made a small pivot where I decided to then go and undertake a master of construction management. Of course, in retrospect, you know, hindsight and retrospect is is 2020. Would I have necessarily gone and done another degree? No, but that was the decision that I made for the career intelligence that I had at the time. And the world of construction management was just everything at once. And I had so many questions and I was truly enthralled by what the industry could actually offer me in terms of opportunity. And I became quite dismayed with my journey in architecture because I realized that whilst I am a creative, I'm not a creative in the typical sense. And I do take joy from a design process, but not the the physical, tangible design of building construction. And I was more interested mm. in the logical processes, the structure, the legalities, the finances, and answering the question, how can we actually translate this built form? So I did complete my Master of Construction Management. It feels like a lifetime ago and a whole other person. And I found my way into industry. I worked for a small industrial, a then small industrial builder, and it really started opening my eyes as to how much opportunity there is in construction. But a lot of what I do now, and we can get into that later, is premised on the challenges and the concerns and how dulled and diminished I was when I first entered into the industry. And I was actually thinking about it this morning as to how poorly the construction industry actually sets people up for success in the early years of their career. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, I I failed to mention that you you started your education with architecture and then pivoted to construction management. Um, It's interesting, you know, most of us are familiar with roles in construction, you know, sort of the, the, the uh, hands-on work, the uh, you know the foreman, the different trades, um, and, and so on. But uh, what are some of the corporate roles in construction that you could have? Oh, that's right. There is such a archetypal stereotype, you know, image of what it means to work in construction, and no one ever actually anticipates someone with crystal earrings and red lipstick walking onto a construction site. So. All throughout my career, I was always someone who 
stood out and I never fitted the mold of what it was to fit in construction. And the more that I actually tried to fit the mold, fit the mold was the more that I actually lost my sense of self and my individuality in the process. And that had dire consequences, but of course not the case right now, but there is the whole world of construction management and that is management of the construction process. So you have head contractors, people who are working for site teams. So you've got project management, administration, construction management. Then of course, people on the front line, like actually on site, the site management foreman, as you just mentioned. But then there is also the broader, more macro industry, which includes all the consultants from quantity surveyors, from all the design consultants from client-side project managers in buildings are complex and buildings have become increasingly complex over the years, which has also called for an increase in specialists and niche, niche type of consultants and the like. So people do think of building construction always as just trade, but it is wholly encompassing of all the different professional functions that are required for building construction, even, you know, construction, specialty lawyers. And then, of course, we're so closely tied to the property industry. So there is such an intensity of opportunity, but that's one of the common misconceptions is that it is only a trade-based type of industry and that people who don't want to do that or don't even want to work on site won't be able to find their place. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's a massively coordinated effort to get something built. And in some ways, the hardest part of the, the work is is coordinating all these different types of people in their little phase of the project, whether it's design, whether it's laying the foundation or getting the materials shipped to site, uh, or it's uh, putting the finishing touches and all of that. There's just so many moving parts. Certainly, it's what is known as the thrill of the build. <laughs> thrill of the build. I like that phrase. <laughs> That's nice. So construction management itself, and this is what you, you specialized in, and eventually you started working uh, for a small builder, was it? Um, and what, what was it that you were doing? Were you at the center of it all, uh, working to coordinate all these different types of specialties to get projects built? Yeah, my, my corporate career, which was eight years in industry, I was predominantly on project delivery, so front-facing on-site administration, dealing with the financial legalities, procurement, on-site coordination, people-type roles within construction. And I sort of lost count, but I delivered, I think, up to $300 million worth of public and private projects over the course of my career. Of course, some were more brilliant than the others and some you hold close to your heart and others you you wish to forget. But that is the, the joys of the industry as well. So yes, I was predominantly project delivery based and constantly on, I was on site for, for five years for, you know, majority of my corporate career as well to actually get to be there and learn building construction because there's a sort of a, a comfort zone within the industry is that people become paper pushers and they just become inboxes. And especially those who are young and starting up in the industry, they're not actually getting that building construction education as how things actually physically go together, but they're becoming just stuck behind a screen. And that's one of the great detriments that 
is happening to young graduates and future leaders in the industry. They just become paper pushers. Mm. Oh, I didn't realize that. Um, so new graduates are, are not visiting sites as often, or maybe they're not interacting with some of the, uh, the workers uh, executing these projects. That's as right. Much as before. They, yeah, that's right. And, you know, it was some of the defining moments of seeing these young graduates who had so much ambition and all what they wanted was to work on site. They come on site and they're just stuck behind a screen for who knows how many months. And the onus is always on the individual to construct their own career. But, you know, what I realized was there, there was a sort of disillusionment. It's like, hang on, is this what I meant to be doing? And that's why I'm saying that at the start, people are not necessarily set up for success at the foundational level. And then this, of course, has its consequential factors as people progress in their career as well. And that was and that was one of the major drivers that mm. influenced me to first and foremost write my book, Constructing Your Career, because there was no literature that provided holistic and unconventional career intelligence to allow people to work on the greatest project that they will ever get to work on, which is, of course, themselves. So people are spending, you know, way too much time working on building construction, which is necessary for a point in time in your career, but they're forgetting themselves. They're not looking at what they actually need. And mm. I mentioned that as a segue to what we did, we were just talking on, because, again, these graduates are, you know, these young leaders are entering into the marketplace, but they're just a very small fish in the very big sea and there is no guidance. Mm -hmm. Now, this might be hard to answer because your experience is in construction, but do you think this problem is across different industries or is there something unique about this problem in the construction industry? There certainly are commonalities in the experience, but construction does have a very unique element because of the sheer nature of the projects and the types of opportunities available on project delivery role. I mean, you've got project delivery, but then you've also got corporate construction. So that's just one of the nuances which do have huge implications onto a construction career. And, mm -hmm. you know, I guess it is also similar in different industries as well when it comes to the type of projects that they work on. But, there is because of how deeply technical construction is it's even more pressing in that there is an over-reliance for one's technical aptitude and technical acumen in their career in construction and yes it is necessary but only for a period of time after that it's not your technical skills of building construction which are actually going to create a career that affords you higher remuneration faster progression and more recognition so there are certain nuances in i guess the collective psyche and in, in the culture in construction which is certainly particular to the industry i cannot of course speak for other industries but there are you know broader in broader issues on a macro to global scale which do of course relate to every single industry and you know what i am so passionate about it in the industry is not actually the projects it's not actually building construction anymore it's the people behind it and yes it is a universal and global issue is that people invest absolutely nothing in their mindset or their skills high income skill set nor their hard set and certainly not their soul set which is the greatest project that they ever get to work on 
but they keep on performing in this very technical, lateral ways of having a career, which isn't allowing them to achieve their potential, but it's also ensuring that they leave massive opportunity on the table. So that as a whole is certainly a global issue. I mean, why else would we have 70 to 80% of people in the world who are just unsatisfied with their career, whereas we live in a time and age with an idea, a message, a personal brand, and an internet connection, you can do anything, right? We There are no barriers pretty much to any sort of implementation of a business idea. And if people are saying funding, well, there's always opportunity around that and ways in which you can be resourceful to make money to funnel into a future business, right? So that certainly is a universal problem. And I realized this for myself the hard way and why I'm so passionate about what I do with focusing on the people behind the project, but also focusing on them also from the inside out, still not from a conventional technical training type of mentoring and coaching that I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it certainly helps to be able to reach those people when you have that experience, the same experiences that they're going through uh, and, and they can relate to you that way. So that's powerful. Um, what I'm hearing also is that uh, this is a, an evolving industry and people are coming into it sort of the same way they've always come into it with this conventional route of going through an education system and then starting to work with a junior position and then kind of following the footsteps of whoever their uh, supervisor or boss is, uh, relying on that for their career development. And that just doesn't seem to work anymore. Um, Or maybe it never worked. No, (laughs) and not many people like me saying this, but what it is, it's a case of the blind leading the blind. You have people who haven't a clue as to the most influential factors that will allow them to truly achieve aligned success. And then they're giving tactical, generic, impersonal advice to someone. And because that person may be in a, in a position of influence in an organization, they have years of experience and there's no term that I hate the most than years of experience because it could be one year repeated 20 times. So it's actually one year of experience. It doesn't actually mean anything. Then we have this self-perpetuating loop of mediocrity and people who are not willing to be taking risks. People who are not willing to differentiate themselves from the herd. People who are not willing to try anything differently. And that is why it is an uphill battle at first for all the right reasons to truly break away from the crowd and do something different in construction. And the minute that I started differentiating myself, you just get so many questions. You get so much vitriol, you get so much hate because I think especially in construction, again, I can't speak for other industries, but there is such this boxed mentality that a career in construction can only look like this. And this is the Mm -hmm. issue is that people cannot be what they cannot see. And if the only thing that they are seeing is professionals who have average careers, who have no idea what they want, they have no idea who they are, they have never done anything outside of convention, then where is the industry going? Because an industry, whichever industry it is, is simply the sum of its parts. What are the parts? The parts are the people. If the people themselves continue to be average and mediocre and simply not striving for excellence or to be anything other than average, 
then where is the industry heading? We're all heading, we're all driving ourselves off a cliff. So when people actually are seeking whole scale change in the industry, it's never going to come from the outside in. It's always, it has to come from the inside out. And that is my utopian vision for the industry. I mean, imagine if everyone was influencing their own income. They were not relying on anyone for anything. They had 100% personal responsibility, i.e. they were constructing themselves. They were working in total alignment with themselves. They knew who they were. They were able to think about their thinking and actually not just display herd mentality, but entrepreneurial cognition, critical cognition, but also be conscious, have total conscious awareness of their thoughts and how that perpetuates into the reality that we all co-create. So imagine a kind of industry which we could experience if everyone was like that. And of course, human nature hasn't changed for thousands of years for many different reasons, right? So this mission will not be complete in my lifetime, but the major systemic issues in the industry will not be fixed through white papers. They will not be fixed through anything other than first getting into the psyche and changing the collective mindset, which is the culture of the industry. And we have to start literally like one by one by one, because when you truly get someone who knows who they are, they're living in alignment with their purpose and their passion, and they have entrepreneurial cognition. Again, I'm not saying you have to be an entrepreneur, but certainly think like one and truly address what I was talking about beforehand. They're going to be able to influence people in their network and people who will see how incredible, not just of a person, but a career that you can have and be in the industry. So will not be complete in my lifetime. I know that, but certainly on a mission to impacting as many in the industry as possible. Yeah. So this is an important insight, which is that construction industry is um, very uh, focused on convention. And, you know, part of the reason for that is, is that it's heavily regulated. Uh, there are many rules you have to know to follow. And so the people that it attracts, and also once you get into it, you get into this mode of thinking of following convention because that's what you have to do. You have to focus on so much to make sure that uh, you don't get slapped with a fine or uh, lose a permit and so on. Um, but it but it seems to seep into the individual mindsets of the people working on these things, um, and that can that can be detrimental to their careers in in this case. So, um, what are some things that uh, people can do to focus their efforts on more high impact skills and competencies. Something you mentioned earlier, which is that they're neglecting these higher impact, um, uh, let's say their skills or, or expertise. One of the most common colloquialisms from the industry is we've always done it this way. And there is nothing that has killed more ideas, dreams, and innovation than saying, shutting down an idea by saying, we've always done it this way. And I'm certainly not advocating for change for change's sake. Absolutely not. But you are right. There is so much in the conventional ways of doing that just seep into the individual. For example, one is how cutthroat the industry is with money. I mean, projects get tendered on such low margins, all of that all of that, I guess, lack of budget gets filtered down the stream. So people who are working, say, in a head contracting capacity 
from very early on get into the head get into the mindset of there's not enough money not enough money you must screw down other people to make money so what this is it's actually a negative relationship with people's money mindset and then unconsciously people then translate these same behaviors into their day-to-day life they operate out of a place of lack meaning i always have to cut down i always have to get a discount everything has to be cheap everything has to be fast no one wants to pay for quality and how that then continues to translate like it's a domino effect mm-hmm. so that's just one aspect and and one of the major commonalities that i had i fell into and was probably the most influential when i rejected was the gender stereotype in industry i mean as soon as i came into industry yes you notice how much of a minority women are so then you also get swept into the broader gender conversation that has a woman in construction i'll never be paid equally i'll never have opportunity i'll never have a seat in the table and we must hate men that was quite simple that was a rampant conversation and everything that is done or not everything but most things that are done are constantly treating the symptom so for example employers should simply pay someone more because of their gender i highly disagree with that people should be paid on their results who gives a shit about their gender right in the sorry to simplify but that's literally what it comes down to so i was i didn't realize that at the time that i was part of this gender narrative but because i was blinded by this gender narrative which is meant to actually be promoting and supporting and encouraging people to grow it's actually putting their own ceiling because what people are identifying themselves is with a type of woman in construction that has to be bullish that has to fight away that there's never any opportunity there's a glass ceiling all of that so what happened in my journey i internalized that belief system that belief system was not serving me I realized that at a point in time, look, this isn't serving me. I don't know what's wrong with it, but I can't keep on making it my own belief. And that also started when I started looking at the world of entrepreneurship. And that's when I realized, hang on, male or female, does male, female, other dog. I mean, dogs are more successful than people in entrepreneurs. I mean, some get, some are just Instagram, you know, celebrities, but far-fetched example but Mm -hmm. i realized in the world of entrepreneurship these issues which are so pressing in corporate they don't exist in the entrepreneurship world there are no limits to your income there are no limits to the opportunity that you can generate for yourself if you adopt an entrepreneurial nature you don't have to become an entrepreneur you can think like one there is a difference and that's when i started realizing that hang on there's so many beliefs in construction that are not serving me. So I started rejecting them. And that is when my, my own career truly started to flourish. And I could go on with examples of, as you correctly pointed out, people are adopting the collective belief system. They are not challenging them. They are not actually assessing, does this belief serve me or not? And when people are not actually able to have a filter, a conscious filter as to which beliefs are going to serve them, which beliefs they should reject, and also where these beliefs come from, no one is actually challenging that and truly getting to the root cause. So what this actually does as the collective, which is the collective issue of the industry is that people are locked into average careers. They are locked into mediocrity. They are locked into simply maintaining the status quo instead of rejecting the status quo. So how does someone actually break out of that? Well, first and foremost, you have to shut the world, shut the doors to the outside world for quite some time and go inside. And that is the place where people like to be the least. 
I mean, mm. that was one of the first issues when the pandemic started was that all of a sudden people were locked up within with themselves and they didn't have their social networks and people do not know how to be with themselves. They don't understand their own company. They're constantly looking for external stimuli. That's why things like Netflix and all of that is so popular because it's on-demand stimulus. So people do not have to confront what's in here. So that's one of the first things that's required is to go and do that deep inner work, which again, people do not like to do because A, it is one of the most challenging mental exercises that we engage in and people don't actually see when they're standing at the outset the benefit of doing that. It's different from a construction project. We get a render, we can see what we're working towards. It's very different when you're working on yourself. There is no end game. We will constantly be working on ourselves. But then also, again, in construction, people aren't realizing that great. You might have the skill of erecting precast, but there is a lid as to how much you can actually get paid for that amount of impact you can make in the world. And it is important. I'm not saying it's not important, but it's not important to everyone at the same point in time. So if people do truly want to have a career which affords them higher progression, higher remuneration, more progression and more recognition, they need to actually look at what skill set do I need? And we don't know what skill set we need until we first ascertain what mindset we need. And by mindset, one part of that is what do we actually want? I mean, I have been in conversation with hundreds of people from the construction industry and just about nine times out of ten I can ask the seemingly simple question what do you want and it's just blanks it's like oh I've never thought of that but I have 15 years of experience which clearly doesn't actually matter because you're going nowhere it's the equivalent of sitting in a car driving I mean where are you going if you don't know where you are going then you have no idea where you actually are today and this is I didn't actually realize how big of an issue this is in construction because people, again, have just put themselves into boxes of trying to climb the corporate ladder, trying to go for the next pay bracket, wanting to go to the next title. I mean, that sounds like a living nightmare to me. And that was one of the paradigm shifts that I went through to realize, hang on, that can't be it. Mm, Yeah. So a lot in there. Thanks for letting me go on. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the, there are many uh, many things said in there, and I, I want to touch on the uh, the very interesting thing you said, which is that you, in order to break out of this conventional mindset, you actually have to uh, be with yourself, be alone with yourself, and try to figure out what you want, uh, so that you can take the next step of actually figuring out how to get what you want. Um, so, you know, this is a scary question for a lot of people because, uh, many of us, you know, especially once you get into this scarcity mindset, it's prevalent in construction workers. Um, many of us, we, we get this fear of, uh, what if we want something that it's really hard to get or that we believe we just can't have, um, and we, we, we subconsciously close ourselves off to these things. Uh, things that we believe are, you know, not meant for us, for example. Have you run into that issue with people that you've discussed this with? Just yesterday. Absolutely. 
People are just, as you correctly said, they're operating out of a paradigm of scarcity and lack and limitation, which automatically they are programmed to think what can go wrong instead of what could actually go right. So when most people are standing at the outset of any opportunity, let's use mentoring as an example, they'll see the investment and they'll just think of all the things that can go wrong rather than everything that they could gain and everything that could actually go right. And when we're saying that, you know, you have to close the doors to the outside world, do this alone. I mean, no one can do that work for you. I had, you know, so fortunate to have one of the best mentors in the world to be my guide on this journey. You can get a guide and we, you know, obviously I'm in the business of mentoring and coaching. So having a guide, having a mentor who can short circuit the time that it takes you to get that inner work not completed, but commenced and knowing what questions to ask, where to look, what you actually need to do, what the process actually looks like, feels like, sounds like. You can get a guide along the journey with you, but fundamentally no one can figure out for you what your passion is, what you are here to do, what is the unique purpose that you have been given to deliver, what is your zone of genius. No one can undertake a spiritual discovery for someone else no one can you know i can't work your subconscious mind for you you need to use it of course we have a guide which allow affords us the opportunity to start understanding hey what is we there's two minds so there's three and we need a guide for that to actually highlight to us what we need to know at this point in time but when it comes down to the implementation no one can do it for you and that is one of the major issues not just in construction but with people generally and one thing which i detest the most is a sense of entitlement like i'm not sure what people expect sometimes is that you will just go and do everything for them and they won't have to lift a finger or exert any energy, but everything that they ever desired is going to come into fruition without them investing any sort of energy, time, money, physical, mental energy, right? So mm-hmm. there is such a, you know, a huge aversion to doing that. And when I realized, when I started, I, you know, opening my eyes to this whole world and, you know, going through my own process of constructing my vision and understanding how powerful we actually are, I started asking the question, how is the most influential and important factors that allow us to have the best human experience excluded from decades of training and conventional education? It just begs the question. And of course, when you ask the question, you will get an answer and it's maybe a a topic for, for another for another podcast or offline, but it didn't make sense. And that's why I'm so passionate about bringing this to the construction industry. And when I start mentioning the subconscious mind or energy, I just get, you know, this glazed look like I'm some sort of woo-woo alien person that has nothing, that doesn't understand construction or anything like that. So, you know, especially in construction, there is such a huge education piece again, because it comes back to people's over-reliance on the technical skills, but also having the false illusion that sheer time and work within corporate is going to get them what they want. So again, you know, it comes down to, you know, a big part of what I do in the content and my podcast and books is always distilling that conventional career intelligence, which is serving absolutely no one. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, 
It's the, the old baby boomer work advice, which is <laughs> keep your head down, work hard, and good things will happen to you. Yeah. I mean, yeah, bullshit, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. Like, you can't do your best work in the dark and actually expect to have the career and life of your dreams. I mean, no one wakes up in the morning and thinks, you know what, I am going to make Eleanor's career and life the best she's ever had. No one wakes up and thinks of you in the morning. Only you wake up in the morning and think of you. So to have the false sense of security that your management or corporate or your project manager is going to pave the way in gold for you to achieve what you want is literally giving the keys to the castle to someone else and letting them do whatever they want and you're not in charge. And it simply does not make any intellectual sense, but this is exactly what people do. So that's why when you look at people's results and the decisions that have made in their life, I'm never swayed by experience or tenure or titles. It means nothing. Look at people's results. Yeah, yeah. So because the roles in construction are pretty well defined, you know, you've got uh, different trades, you've got uh, you've got your managers, superintendents, you've got coordinators. Um, some of this kind of career development can sound a little abstract. So um, to make it more concrete, uh, pardon the pun there, <laughs> but uh, just to help me understand if somebody is uh, takes this path of wanting to really uh, think outside the box and develop their career, you know, where could this take them? Could this take them out of the industry? Could this, uh, could they be carving out a new role for themselves outside of what's currently available? Is that something that could happen? Certainly. And that's one of the frustrations which I experienced, which led me to where I am today. So I couldn't be more grateful. It was full of friction and confusion at the time. But I realized that I had these two career parts. So one was, I thought that I had to have a career in construction by working on site in order to have a career in construction. That's a limiting belief that I need to be literally watching the trades work and I need to roll by roll, project by project, make sure that management likes me so that I get the next promotion. I thought that's what I had to do. At the same time, through different ventures that I was doing outside of the nine to five, because I've always been someone who is a maximalist. I cannot do one thing. I'm not a linear person. I, I love diversity. I love when things are dynamic. So I had a few side hustles and whatnot, and I did tutoring, which actually was the pathway that led me to the construction coach, which is my business. But I realized that I'm also so passionate and I love teaching. Like I love mentoring. I love coaching. I love passing on the knowledge that I have garnered in order to add value to other people. And that is essentially what a thought leader is. A thought leader is someone who is known for what they know because what they know makes a difference. So I was born to be a thought leader. I'm grateful that I am one of those people who has crystal clarity as to their purpose. But that's where the friction started happening because no one was going to pay me per se to mentor or no one was going to pay me to speak and no one was going to pay me to make my vision a reality and that's when I started seeing the cracks in the corporate career because there is there was no overlay per se of 
two competing passions and it was through divine intervention which I met my mentor and my confidant and my best friend best friend Ron Malhotra who showed me that you can be a traditional employee we know what that looks like you can be a traditional entrepreneur so let's say you have a product or service that does really really well 10 20 years down the line or you can become a thought leader which is per the definition that I provided beforehand and what that is is an amalgamation of all of who we are our unique idea who we are serving and communicating that with a personal brand based on the problem that we want to actually solve for people. And it was like breathing fresh air when I realized that I can create the life and lifestyle, the career based on the function that I love carrying out. I mean, this is incredible. It's the middle of the day for me. It's a Tuesday. I get to sit here and record this with you. If it adds value to one more person, that's incredible. I get to do this. Whereas when I looked at the stifling environment that I came from, no one would let me, you know, let me, because you always have to ask for permission to, to sneeze and even to stay at home sick. I hated that as well, Mm. but I get to do all of the things that I love doing. And it's not to say a hundred percent of the time I love what I do, right? There are functions which I cannot yet outsource. I need to do them such as admin, but at least 80 to 90% of the time I'm con- I'm consumed with functions that is in total alignment with my zone of genius, with what I love doing, which is what's going to add the most value to my community and collective communities. And that is a much better way to have a career and life than just doing something which you love for 30% of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you mentioned... Uh, that you you had some side hustles for a while and you did some uh, tutoring and this kind of gave you at some point you had the idea that you could uh, you could do this full time you could mentor people teach speak uh, all as part of of a coherent kind of strategy for your career um, to do thought leadership as you call it now is the thought leadership a component of what you do or is it kind of uh, uh, something that connects everything that you do? Thought leadership is a model of entrepreneurship. So the model of business, which I run, is a thought leadership model of business. So yes, it is the overarching, I guess, theme of what I do. And this is what I love about the thought leadership model is that no one can ever put you into a box and they just want like one title to put you into a box. So you so you're an author or you're a podcast host. Hang on, why can't I be both? Why can't I mm. be any title that I choose for myself? And quite frankly, it has nothing to do with titles. I just am. And this is what I do. So mm-hmm. you know, that's how you know it was the found that was part of the founding story of the construction coach as well. Because when I graduated from construction, all of a sudden I had this intense amount of time and I said, well I have to fill this. So I started tutoring. And then what I realized was, A, I'm still trading my time for money. There's a cap as to how much I can sit there and talk to one person on a weekend and what I can charge as well. But then also I wasn't in control of my clientele because it was a third party site. And when that shut down and I wasn't the number one, when you typed in construction tutor, then so did my client base go. But at the same time, the conversations with me, yes, they came to me first for technical advice. But the questions always turn to career advice. 
because people saw that I had this incredible career in construction and they wanted to know how I didn't. So those things combined, I asked myself and I asked my subconscious mind the question, this was in February 2019, how can I reach more people? And then it was April 2019, which I got the download, the construction coach. And it just started as a block. And I say just because I had no idea what I was doing. It was in May that I launched the website and I started blogging. But again, I, I started blogging about the career path. And what does this mean? You know, let's say you work for a large company. And I'm simplifying it as to how I started. But if you're working in a company that has 500 employees, what implication does this have on your career? And that wasn't ever the link that people were providing. I mean, what? how would you, as someone who is wanting to start out or even a few years into the industry, you would have no idea as to the career implications of working at X type of company instead of Y. So I started molding the conversation around you know, the careers and the people part of the industry. And then it was, again, through a divine intervention, I realized, hang on, I need to market this. So I spent more time than I did on LinkedIn and I got an invitation from a coach to attend a LinkedIn marketing event. I'm like, perfect. I bought a ticket straight away. And that was the same night in June, 16th of June, 2019. I'm quite sentimental with dates that mm. I met my mentor, Ron Malhotra, and my world just absolutely changed. And so this mentor, um, would you say this was the turning point for you to start uh, writing a book? Uh, because you did end up publishing a book and you have a second one on the way. Uh, the first book was called uh, Constructing You or Constructing Your Career. Constructing uh, Your Career. Yeah. And uh, I, I kind of skimmed through the book before this call and I, I saw that you structure the book uh, in phases, almost like an actual construction project. You have yes. the feasibility, <laughs> you've got uh, the design stage and, and so on. Um, so was that the, the, the starting point for this book? A book, a podcast, a YouTube channel, whatever it is, that's a brand asset. And that comes down the line. So this is where people also get it slightly incorrect, I dare say wrong, when they want to produce anything. So I wrote my first book in eight days and I could do that with such ease because I had clarity over my message, clarity over my brand. I knew who I was serving. I knew the voice in which I was speaking in and I already started putting out content. Plus writing is part of my zone of genius. I can write with ease and flow. So I didn't start with the book, but there was a lot of foundational work and I had to get intense clarity on my purpose, on my mission, on who I am, to get in total alignment, to start developing that brand, to start building and nurturing that community. And then certainly book one comes, book two comes, and book three comes along because you mm -hmm. have so much clarity. And there are some people who are taking you know, five, ten years to to write a book. I mean, sure, if it's a like a research book or it's, you know, uh, half a million words, sure, but for all intents and purposes, you know, 50 to 80,000 words, you've got a book. It doesn't need to take as long as people do take if you first invest months, time, energy into getting clarity and setting up the foundations properly. And this is where people also truly fail to capitalize on the mentoring journey. I invested 12 months into mentoring and I still do. I'm constantly mentored by Ron until the end of time slash until he will have me. And, you know, I deferred gratification or I did what other people won't do 
and I set really strong foundations and I'm still building on that. Whereas most people think that, you know, they just want to bypass the time that it takes. So then they go straight into writing a book and then they're stuck and then they can't do it. And there's no voice and there's no congruency or they launch it and they don't sell anything because they haven't actually taken the time to set proper foundations. So certainly that is also the nature in which I wrote my book. It's this is how you build a construction project. It is the same for your career. Anything that you place on weak foundations is going to crumble and fall. You're only fooling yourself if you choose to bypass the time by thinking that you're saving time. All in all, you're adding time and you've done no one justice, especially not yourself. Mm -hmm. One of the things that uh, a lot of people need to hear and learn how to do is networking. Uh, And in the modern age, there are new ways to network online, uh, different social media channels. uh, And it's it's still something that people hesitate to do especially if they're introverted or they grew up with the you know the, the typical message about networking being very cringy and uh, forced um, so what would you say about the importance of networking and um, maybe some ways to make it a little more enjoyable there's two types of equity which are the most important number one is financial equity And number two is relationship equity. They're not in order. And if people are not actually tending to their networks, they are going to constantly be hunting for opportunity. They're constantly going to be missing out truly because the greatest opportunities do not come from the open market. This isn't just for jobs. This is about creating opportunity for yourself. Everything that we do is based on relationships. There is nothing which I have achieved from my books to client, you know, getting clients on boards, on board to the podcast that I do to my second book, which has executives, CEOs, business founders who have collaborated in my book. I mean, that was, you know, no easy feat. That is all to do with building relationship equity. And people need to think about it this way. Let's say I want to save money, right? So I make constant deposits in the bank because one day I know that I will need to make a withdrawal. I want to buy a car, I want to invest in my business, whatever it is. Now, if I'm not depositing money in the bank, then if I want to go make a withdrawal one day, there's going to be nothing there. It is the same with people. If people are not putting deposits into their relationships one day when they will need to ask for something or want to create something or want an opportunity or referral, whatever it is, you're not going to be able to do any of that because you haven't actually tended to it. And this comes down to one of the you know, major flaws in people's thinking is that there is no immediate ROI on networking. I mean, the first day that you plant the seed isn't the, or the same day that you plant the seed isn't the same day that you reap the harvest. There is no immediate benefit to networking. And I tended to my network and added value and connected people and showed up to events for seven years. And I didn't want anything. I didn't ask for anything. It was only when I started my business that I started, I guess, making those deposits. But people also knew me. And I had a very consistent track record of character and value that creates trust. And you can't buy trust off a shelf, whether that is done offline or online, right? It's just a different medium, but the principles are the same. 
So if people can actually think that doors are just going to unlock for themselves out of sheer goodwill or talent or because they're the best in the business, they've got it wrong. And, you know, I, I constantly speak about the importance of networking to my entry-level clients and they don't yet seem to catch on that if you don't have a network what are you going to do in three years time when you really want say an exclusive opportunity or you want to start your own business so the work has to start now and you can't expect anything in return with networking if people were to take that approach of just releasing the outcome and not feeling that just because they've done something they should get something in return then you need to start shaping the mindset around networking which is then going to afford them more opportunities to identify events to go and talk to ways in which they can network and interact and build that relationship equity. Mm, yeah. Uh, and this is something that applies across all kinds of entrepreneurship is the people that you know and leveraging good relationships to um, get your first client or get your partner, your first partner. Um, and uh, that's very valuable for sure. Um so your first book was Constructing Your Career, and you've got a new book in the, that's coming out soon. I think it's, and that one's called Leadership in Construction. And you mentioned briefly that you've got nine different leaders interviewed in the book. I was interested to see that uh, I recognized one of the leaders uh, who is the founder of Procore. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a construction technology company, and, and I work in technology. And so I was very intrigued to see that. I'm I'm curious, you know, is this book geared towards uh, people who are uh, a little bit further ahead than the audience from the first book? So maybe a few years into their career, maybe uh, they're in a senior leadership position and uh, this book is for them, or is it uh, for more of a wide audience in, in terms of leadership at lower levels as well? In the thought leadership world, we do sometimes base our brand assets on demographics. So, you know, say zero to two years but we also base it on psychographics. So my book is written for someone who has ambition and someone who's ready to disrupt the status quo, someone who is willing to be committed to excellence, someone who is willing to earn the right to lead. That has nothing to do with age. You could be 18, you could be 50. So that's the general perspective that it is written from. Of course, from the implementation, certainly if someone is already in a leadership position or managerial position. So someone, as you correctly pointed out, at the, let's say, five-plus-year mark, that's where it's going to fit perfectly in their career. And there is also intense value to people who are well-advanced in their career because who has taught them leadership principles? I mean, I have seen more leaders, uh, quote-unquote, I use that term so loosely, that should not be anywhere in the position that they are right? There are some exemplary leaders. They're the ones in my books. They're the ones on my podcast, right? They're not, they're the exemption. They're not the rule. So even people who are already well-established, there is so much value in the book because the book is structured into three stages as well. First, it's constructing you. If you cannot lead yourself, if you cannot generate outcomes for yourself, you haven't earned the right to do that for other people. Then you're just talking from theoretical experience. I mean, it's the same as say, I would say, Hey, I can help you. Uh, I can enable you to create a hundred million dollar business, but I haven't done it for myself. So why would anyone listen to me? It's not, it's theoretical. It's a false facade. And it goes back to what I was saying at the start of the podcast. It's the blind leading the blind. 
So it mm-hmm. starts with constructing you. Once you do that, in order to be a leader, we do need a followership. If people aren't going where you are going or want to go with you, then you're not a leader. You're a lone wolf. So the second part is about constructing others. And just to give an example, one of the chapters is about setting people up for success. And when you look into, let's say, corporate environments generally, they're not looking at the individual. They're not thinking, look, this individual has certain strengths in this in this. Uh, you know, in this arena, this is what they can do. How can we make that work in the business? Most people are just trying to suffocate people and getting them to do work that is not in alignment with themselves and then beating them with a stick when they don't perform. So one example of constructing others, there's, and I also go into the skill set that's associated with constructing others, such as influence, trust, communication. And then the third part is constructing projects, which is interchangeable with constructing business and projects. So this is about looking at large scale leadership, such as innovation, such as legacy. So things that are going to allow you to reach as many people as possible within your marketplace, within your niche. So, and then throughout all of these themes, I've kept the themes. I mean, you could talk about leadership until the end of time. You could put everything just about under the umbrella of leadership. But what I've done is I've kept the lessons in total congruency to those that were shared by the contributors. So what this book is, it is truly a first in which it captures real-time industry lessons from people who are on the front line achieving massive things within their organizations, within their businesses, and have truly rejected the status quo. And then their lessons are, are filtered throughout the relevant section. So, of course, TUI and Procore, they have exemplary culture. So, you know, there's insights from TUI on culture on culture in that part of the book. And I'm certainly, you know, very proud of the final outcome. I'm looking forward to its global and Australian release in a couple of months. It's in the, the home stretch of the book publishing process. Excellent. Well, I hope that it uh, it makes it through in a timely manner and we can all get a chance to uh, get a copy. Thank um, you. You can pre-order it if you're in Australia. The website is, I think, theconstructioncoach.com. Is that right? Theconstructioncoach.com.au. .au. .com.au. Okay. Interesting. It's got both. <laughs> yes. Excellent. The person who has theconstructioncoach.com didn't want to sell their domain, so... Uh, no, AU. So if they're listening, I'll, uh, I want to buy the domain. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure they're listening to this podcast and uh, <laughs> I'll get that message across loud mm-hmm. and clear. Well, thanks again for coming and uh, uh, I'll, uh, I'll put the website into the show notes so that everybody can, can get to it easily. And uh, where else can people find you on social media or other places? Of course, I'm I'm at mm. Eleanor Moshe underscore on Instagram, Eleanor Moshe on LinkedIn, at the underscore Eleanor Moshe on Twitter, and I also run weekly Clubhouse rooms. It's the Construction Club on Clubhouse, where we have live dynamic discussions and all things leadership and construction. So just look up my profile on Clubhouse, and you're more than welcome to join me there. That is awesome. Thank you so much, Eleanor. Mm-hmm.